Hello and welcome to Pointcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're new to our show, Pointcast is a show where we talk to voters about the issues that concern them most. And for our uh, our listeners who have been with us for a while, welcome back and thank you for coming into this discussion. Today we have with us Joshua, could you say your last name for me? Scantland. Scantland. Okay, so I would have been right. Yes. (laughs) Joshua, thank you so much for being here with us um, to talk about what's important to you. Um, if you don't mind, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners first? Sure. My name is Joshua Scantland. I am a uh, physician over here in Indiana- Indianapolis. Uh, don't really want to mention exactly where I work. I guess I don't know <laughs> if there's going to be any conflict of interest. I don't think there will be. But No, you're fine. Um, ultimately, uh, I also am an Indiana native. I grew up in southern Indiana, just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting tidbit about me. I'm a first-generation college student, so a lot of perspectives I bring to the table is often from the perspective of someone who come from a lower socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and in talking about that, the discussion we're talking about today has had a large impact on people who would have been considered from a lower socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to talk about opioids. Yes. Opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. For people who may not be familiar, um, opioid addiction is primarily addiction to pain medication, prescribed pain medication yes. that then leads to other drugs for some folks. So it's like a gateway. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is this particular issue so important to you? So ultimately, I think as we talked a little bit about before, it's a multifactorial issue that I think that's why it's really latched on to me. Um, big part of it, I guess, I think looking back is that it's impacted my childhood as well. I've had multiple family members affected by addiction with opioids, um, lost a stepmother due to opioid addiction, and some friends. And so it's been very impactful on me. Mm-hmm. Now now that I'm a physician, I continue to see the impacts it has not only on my patients, but also on how I practice for the most part, how I guess devastating these opioids can be, especially when someone becomes quite dependent on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, I think that's what really drives my interest in it. Let's go back and talk about the personal or family connection and, and what it was like um, in a home, in a family, in a community where there's so many people hurting who are addicted and the people around them who probably don't feel like they can, they're powerful enough to do anything. Tell us a little bit about what what that is like and what that was like for you. Sure. Well, and I think relative to other individuals and communities, I don't think I was as severely impacted. Mm -hmm. But for me, ultimately, I mean, it resulted in a lot of, you know, residual anger and I guess ultimately just things that have impacted me and uh, my community in terms of also inducing financial instability for neighbors around me as an example some residual impacts from that is that you know uh, i have siblings who still struggle with opioid addiction one of them just recently got out of prison mm-hmm. uh, i think he was using heroin as mm-hmm. a as a particular example and i think maybe he might have been exposed to just prescription opioids in the beginning wow. yeah and so um and then a, a mutual or i guess a childhood friend of mine has also recently overdosed by i guess injecting fentanyl with this is a synthetic opioid in addition to Mm -hmm. heroin and and we're seeing a lot more of that nowadays and so i think 
in my childhood, I was only really seeing the beginning of this wave, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is now I think is hitting its peak mm -hmm. and really has. And if you look at the data, it's really actually significantly increased since 1999. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a sense about that time that the number of opioid-related opioid deaths has increased by 500%. So it's wow. drastically increased. And so I was impacted, but I think I'm more conscious of it now because I'm seeing it impacting more communities and more people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think that your community or communities in general have been responding um, in a healthy way and maybe have just been overwhelmed? Or do you just think that they haven't learned yet how to respond to this problem? I think in, in communities, do you mean like uh, personal communities or do you mean healthcare communities? I mean, um, the healthcare community mm -hmm. in general. Okay. And, and how, and then the reason why I ask this question is because of the huge growth uh, in such a short period of time. It, it seems as though somehow someone wasn't watching mm -hmm. this. And, you know, drug addiction, as far as the general definition, has kind of been seen as one type of thing. Mm -hmm. But if you got a prescription from a doctor mm -hmm. that even if you use that drug a lot, it wasn't seen in the, in the same way. Right. Right. So, I mean, how do you, do you think that, how about the health community now? Do you think that there's an appropriate response admittedly I don't think as much of as a response as I would hope it, mm -hmm. if I were to be completely honest mm -hmm. um, I see the community in itself the people who are impacted by this are trying to implement change by making certain programs available to those who are addicted to opioids and I think on the healthcare side we're trying to be more cautious about how we choose to prescribe opioids and restricting quite a bit but that's ultimately just a scratch on the surface mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know how much you know about the history of opioid use here in the United States in the past 20 years or so mm -hmm. is that uh, there was the American Pain Society back in the 90s right. who really implemented this concept of the fifth vital sign mm -hmm. which means uh, talking about essentially treating pain as an additional vital sign in addition to heart rate respiratory rate and the such, mm -hmm. um, ultimately really pushing an initiative to over-treat pain all the time. Uh, and I think people ha some people had their best interests in mind, but if you look back at it, there's actually a lot of lawsuits now that are tracing back to the American Pain Society, mm -hmm. receiving contributions for Purdue Pharma and Johnson & Johnson, which are big opioid producers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So essentially these big pharmaceutical companies we're paying lots of money to this American Pain Society to push through this agenda. And really feeding these pain management programs yes. across the country. Yeah, it's chronic pain management. And so ultimately, it wasn't until recently that I think people are starting to pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. And I think the healthcare community was trying to patch, essentially patch up the holes you know, in the system that was allowing people to get addicted to this stuff, but they weren't really addressing the root cause, which is ultimately where I want, want to hit it, you know. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, essentially, mm -hmm. I think that some of the biggest root causes that we allow these 
companies to make political decisions for us, you know, and I think that's that's the biggest concern for me. It's challenging for the medical community because part of their charge is to help alleviate pain. Mm-hmm. And I think we can. It's just we were not being responsible in that. Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, there's times when using opioids is absolutely appropriate, mm-hmm. such as following a surgery or procedure, mm-hmm. sometimes managing acute pain, mm-hmm. which means that it's occurred in a short time span. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes in the case of someone who is at the end of their, towards the end of their life, and you're just wanting to kind of make their experience a bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are acceptable reasons to use opioids. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, opioids were often overused mm-hmm. just because we were using it to treat every sort of pain when there was multiple different options available. One of the things that I found interesting in, in, in the research that I was able to do, according to the American Journal of Managed Care, is people are now seeing uh, new emerging risk factors, including an increase in HIV transmissions. Mm-hmm. Is this something that, um, you know, from your experience being in the healthcare uh, industry that you all have had to address here in Indiana? Yes. We've seen a lot more HIV and HIV-related illnesses mm-hmm. and HIV-defining illnesses. Could you explain what the HIV-defining illnesses are? Yeah. So those are different kinds of infections. So I guess I want to give you a little bit about what HIV is. And okay. That's, you know, mm-hmm. it's an immunodeficiency virus which progresses to... Um, uh, I guess essentially advanced immunodeficiency syndrome, mm-hmm. um, which ultimately is just someone's immune system is not functioning the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. this allows different kinds of bacteria and fungi and other opportunistic infections to really take hold in someone's body because you or I are able to fight off these infections effectively. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have to really deal with these different kinds of small bacteria, mm-hmm. whereas these people, they ultimately... They don't have a strong enough immune system to really fight off these infections. And so they kind of just become like a, I mean, almost just like a, uh, a, a medium for allow these bacteria and fungi to grow within their body. Mm-hmm. And so they really present with these very bizarre and very advanced infections that normally people don't have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we define as, uh, I guess, AIDS-defining diseases or infections. Oh, I see. Yeah. I and see. so. Um, essentially it's just, it's infections related primarily to severe immunosuppression. How, how do you even begin to treat uh, a person with these sorts of infections if they are still actively using opioids? Well, so uh, I guess ultimately you can, um, because the People get these infections not directly from the medication itself, but from injecting and sharing needles. And I guess I should have said that the note does say, the quote does say, um, injected opioid use. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's it's primarily transmitted in in any case, such as any transmission of HIV, through ultimately blood-to-blood contact or some kind of other, you know, like maybe like other kinds of fluids with blood contact as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And... So ultimately, someone being immunosuppressed can still be managed with different, there's different medications it can use that work against HIV. 
um, that can help improve their immune system, and you can still use antibiotics to treat the infections that come with that immunosuppression, even while they're still actively using. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so ultimately, the treatment of those things should not be precluded at all if someone is still using. Um, there's some treatment programs that exist out there too that will allow you to use. Um, I mean, of course, as you can see, like even out in DC and whatnot, they've been implementing a lot more needle exchange programs, which is expected. Right, yeah. and, and I was going to ask if that is something that you think should be a, a part of the solution toolbox here in Indiana. Yeah, so I, I do, I ultimately, I and it's not, I guess often people see it as advocating for right, use. Right. Mm-hmm. How I tell people is that ultimately people are still going to use because they're addicted. It's mm-hmm. not it's I mean once you get so addicted it's no longer a matter of self-control anymore it's your body is physically dependent on this substance Mm -hmm. so I think it's important if we want to mitigate the uh, outbreak of HIV within Indiana in particular Mm -hmm. uh, kind of an example of providing is that car accidents are still going to occur so wearing a seatbelt isn't going to increase your risk of car accidents it's just simply going to protect you if it occurs Mm, I see. I see. And what type of responses have you seen yourself as someone who's had to deal with this personally and also in the medical community? Do you think that there's enough support behind it locally to I, see this happen? I think so. I, I think when speaking to individuals on a personal level, almost everybody seems to agree. Mm-hmm. I think where the issues come in is when you're starting to speak to people with some kind of uh, political influence or someone with an administration where they have to be so much more coy, I guess, Mm. in their decision-making and their opinions. But isn't this a matter of life and death in many cases, in all cases, really? It really is. I mean, it's it's, uh, very much so. We lose so many people, young people, healthy Mm -hmm. people, due to opioid overdosing. Um, we had interviewed a, a pastor in Hamilton County, and he was talking about the struggles in his community. And even though he um, operates a church in a, in a wealthier community, um, he's seeing within the schools there and, and within his church how uh, opioid addiction that has led to the use of other drugs just kind of devastate families. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it seems like it's cutting across socioeconomic it is, um, and we're starting to see that a lot more. Much kind of, I guess, if you were willing to do so. Look, it's kind of similar to the '70s when there was the heroin epidemic here within the United States. Mm-hmm. That um, there was a point in time when it actually, yeah, it started crossing into other strata of society. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't. You know, it, I think it starts off in lower socioeconomic status and maybe more frequent there, but. It certainly affects all, I mean, levels of people within the United States. Right. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, they're seeing these increases across the board, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest areas or the greatest area of increase that they've seen is 26% increase in opioid overdose among African Americans between 2016 and 2017, when they really hadn't seen you know, a, a large impact in the African-American community before. So it's 
it's reaching out into other communities and gone from being um, an urban, I'm sorry, a rural problem mm-hmm. and, and gone into other socioeconomic groups and now has gone into urban centers. Mm-hmm. Um, with the extent of it, um, the response doesn't seem to be matching the, the growth. You, uh, you mean with more predominance towards African-American populations? Well, for everyone impacted. Mm-hmm. Looking at all of the growth across all of these different groups, there doesn't seem to be a response that is matching or keeping pace. Right, with yeah, I agree. I, I think that we're honestly not enough is being done to manage it. Um, I think people are trying. Uh, so as you, I was just recently reading about it, uh, brushing up on it, and for instance, I think Oklahoma had a lawsuit against Johnson and Johnson, and they essentially settled for I think five hundred and sixty-seven million dollars. You know, but what are those lawsuits doing directly for the families who have been impacted, um, in in the level of devastation that's taken place for families where you know I, I just saw another story where a mom has lost her son he's still alive but she's lot he's homeless now and she mm-hmm. literally doesn't know where he is he's addicted beyond care so she can't even put him in a program mm-hmm. she can't get to him to put him in a program and with all of the lawsuits going on you know where are the dollars go how are they going after the people who are suffering from this sort of addiction or may have started here and ended up in other areas yeah and honestly i can't say that I even know the answer to that mm-hmm. um, I, because I don't even know if Indiana has followed suit as in terms of you know making this happen. Um, but in particular, I, I I guess honestly, I imagine it would depend by between different administrations and how they're managing it per state essentially. Mm-hmm. How would um, you like to see what type of response? Would you like to see from the political community, from the health community, and from just neighbors of goodwill? Yeah, I think what I would like to see is that, first off, uh, biggest thing is that we need to really manage how money is going into our political decisions, mm-hmm. first and foremost. I mean, cut the head off the snake, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, go back and improve the lives of the communities that have been impacted with this. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, hopefully really increase health care, uh, you know, health care benefits for individuals who are impacted by this, who are of lower socioeconomic status that have a lot of barriers to health care mm-hmm. and education and resources. Um, in addition to that, I think another thing I would like to see is that ultimately on individual levels of hospital administrations changing how they choose to manage pain, and helping those families and communities that really, uh, honestly, were so negatively impacted due to this reckless use of opioids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could include also uh, increase, increased uh, mental health, you know, coverage. And so, uh, because I think that's a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. In my personal experience, I've seen a lot of people who are more more likely to abuse i mean of course they're addicted but mm-hmm. they become more likely to be dependent on it if they are kind of self-managing anxiety or depression or some kind of other things that are just not well addressed in our society and the lasting impact of addiction on on communities on individuals on families 
let's say after a person has found their way through the addiction, you know, the lasting impact on their health um, and, and their family, speak to that a little bit as to how how you see the that being a challenge still mm-hmm. for people to kind of grow beyond addiction. Ultimately, I think I, I see this actually within my own family. Um, ultimately, my brother, two of my brothers, you know, they, I mean, one currently I think struggles and the other one is recovered, I believe. Um, and you see it all the time that once someone becomes labeled with that, it is something that falls in for the rest of their life. One of them served a prison sentence related to some of these uses, and now every job he applies for, he has to check that box. Mm, yeah. So he will ultimately never, I mean, he may, but chances are very, very low for him to be able to maintain a very normal, functional life with that kind of history that follows him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so anybody who's pulled into that situation by, in some regards, may not be entirely the fault of their own. Mm-hmm it's now impacting not only their current life, their past, but also it's almost determining their entire future. Wow. Wow. That's a lot bigger than just a moment in Mm -hmm. a person's life to think about the future, because that can include any children that they may have, any future relationships. Right. Exactly. And I mean, and you see that too, that's where the most common populations that are impacted by this are the ones who are the younger generation coming from impacted, you know, families. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ultimately if someone had parents or I guess, uh, I guess older siblings that were impacted, they're more likely to get pulled into that situation, if not directly addicted, but they will become secondary consequences that will impact them as well. The, the, the addiction may start with opioids, but it seems to lead to other types of drug use. Um, from your experience, um, how, you know, because it's especially challenging if you come from so certain socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, people always wonder, where are people getting the resources to get access to these other drugs? Well, um, as you see often is that it, there's a lot of it on the streets. Mm-hmm. And people will get knockoff brands, which are laced with things that are not good. That's where you get people who get a hold of, um, I guess they believe it to be heroin, but it turns out to be laced with fentanyl, which is supposed to be more potent, about 100 100 times more potent than just a handed heroin or morphine alone. Mm -hmm. So um, ultimately, these people get access to them because there's cheaper products out there, Mm -hmm. not safer, however, and... Um, they kind of do whatever they can to really afford it because that becomes the primary focus of their life. And if anything, that really demonstrates how it affects the uh, the brain's function and mm-hmm. how it perceives its needs. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's it's truly a disease because you see how it, much like any other mental illness, it really alters someone's perception of reality and mm-hmm. gives them poor insight about their own illness. This all comes at a time where people's attitudes are actually becoming a little bit more relaxed when it comes to uh, recreational drug use. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you see that as being a potential problem? Yeah, you mean recreational drug use? uh, Is it? Um, Yes, and and people usually associate that with marijuana, but Mm -hmm. 
other folks have associated it with even the use of cocaine. Uh, you mean if they start using opioids, it will lead to marijuana and co cocaine? Is that what you mean? Or? What I mean is um, the attitudes toward drug use overall mm -hmm. have okay. become more relaxed. I see. And that's bumping up next to this growing opioid issue. Mm -hmm. And so some people are, are saying that these drugs don't affect us um, or don't make us, uh, don't make people do things outside of what they would want to do while it seems like they're meeting in the middle, but mm -hmm. there's different stories that are being told about them. And so it seems like that's confusing to the political community mm -hmm. where they are relaxing. People used to talk about marijuana like this, mm -hmm. uh, being a gateway drug. Now we're talking about opioids being the gateway drug, but we're becoming more relaxed toward marijuana use, which mm -hmm. is still considered by some to be a gateway to harder drugs. And, because of that relaxed thinking, do you think that who has caused people to kind of respond late or not as, um, and I'm specifically talking about the political community, hmm. not as perhaps they should have when looking at opioids? Um, I, 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 I don't personally think so, mm -hmm. uh, ultimately. I, I think as, because I think the THC and marijuana in general are a whole different class of drugs than opioids. Mm -hmm. um, opioids can be directly deadly if used. Um, however, things like marijuana, you know, there can be some long-term effects of using marijuana, but not any more extensive than other kinds of recreations that people may choose to involve themselves in. Okay. Um, but I think ultimately the political community I ultimately I don't think there's much connection between those two uh, well the reason why I bring yeah. that up is because it's being touted as another way to manage pain mm. and their doctors are starting to see an increase um, doctors who deliver babies 16% of umbilical cords after delivery are coming back positive for opiates right and 20% uh, are coming back positive for marijuana mm. and they're starting to see them together mm -hmm. and so does the medical community see this as one and the same as far as uh, a problem or is, are these two separate issues I think they're separate issues and I you, people will often co-use with different substances and I think that's more based on their level of I guess need independence ultimately on certain substances and mm -hmm. so people will often utilize other things as a way to reach what we call euphoria essentially um, so things like opioids they work within the central nervous system in order to produce a feeling of euphoria which mm -hmm. is the th thing that people get really addicted to mm -hmm. um, marijuana may be able to reproduce some of those feelings of euphoria but without the devastating side effects that opioids may present as well. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes people turn to different substances in order to maintain that sense of, um, you know, being at ease mm -hmm. and feeling really good, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why people will often co-use, but I don't think that there's a direct correlation between those who use opioids, marijuana, you know, uh, and, or cocaine for that matter. Mm -hmm. Because um, there's still a strong number of individuals who um, who use solely opioids, and usually it's 
by prescription. So there's people who are very addicted to prescription opioids rather than what they're obtaining on the streets as well. Um, and there's a lot of people who use marijuana independently as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think that there's an exact correlation between those two. Okay. But I think you might see maybe some co-use, and I think that's maybe the extent of it. So elected officials who have made this argument, mm-hmm. what you're saying to them, and this is where this really came from, that's why I brought it up. Mm. <laughs> so elected officials who have made this argument, uh, particularly in Indiana, what you're saying to them is that these are really two separate issues requiring totally separate responses. Yes, absolutely. I think they're completely separate because ultimately, I mean, opioids is, I think, it's an, it's a, it's an occurrence that has resulted from ultimately a kind of the overuse of it, at least is due to like, political corruption so people can make more money i don't know if mm-hmm. you know but particularly purdue pharma yeah, has made yeah. billions of dollars off oxycontin alone right after right. implementing this fifth vital sign that we talked about earlier well they want to step beyond um their sales force was very very active yes uh in the medical community with the the relationships they had the programs mm-hmm. they had for using their drugs so it went a little bit beyond the typical pharmaceutical mm-hmm. uh, company and and that people are also questioning the type of relationships they've had with with hospitals and the incentive right. programs that they had mm-hmm. profit sharing even I, I don't know the extent of it I don't think any of us knows the extent of it yet but you're right there there was a great deal of what we now call corruption but at that time was called good business because it made them a lot of money Capitalism has been very beneficial, I think, in growing this country. But mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it was around the 80s or so when we started seeing a lot more non-transparent campaign contributions. And ultimately, you're starting seeing these companies, which are con- simply conducting good business. Right. I'm doing some air quotes there for those who can <laughs> see. Good business, ultimately, uh, in order to support their investors. Right, right. But ultimately... But uh, ultimately, has led to people abusing the system that exists. Do you think that the political contributions, because there has been some talk about the close relationship the pharmaceutical companies, particularly Purdue, has had with both parties, um, has corrupted their ability to really um, legislate in this space, particularly around um, health care um, and, and making um, treatment available? Um, whether it's through the former, I don't even know if Obamacare still exists or not. I'm kind of confused about it. But through healthcare insurance, requiring healthcare insurance to carry um, uh, substance abuse counseling, treatment, do you think that has hindered their ability to to, um, speak in that space? I believe so, absolutely. That's the problem with money and politics in general is mm-hmm. that you're obligated to speak in the interest of the people who pay you mm-hmm. for the most part. I, I actually used to be uh, involved with the American Medical Association Political Action Committee. Oh. And so we, uh, which I don't know if you know, but American Me- Medical Associations, one of the largest lobbying and most powerful lobbying groups in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, for the most part, you see often where 
you can have these kinds of preclusions on certain choices that are made based on the contributions that are made towards you in your campaign. Wow, wow. Um, so ultimately, yes, to answer your question, yes, I think that the kinds of decisions that are made are often precluded by the fact that they had contributions made to their campaign mm -hmm. by these companies. Mm -hmm. um, and I think ultimately it's prohibiting us making the right decisions for our people here, not only within Indiana, but nationwide. Within, right, within the nation, exactly. What do you want elected officials, particularly the ones you vote for, to, how do you want them to address this issue, talking about opioid addiction? I think ultimately, as I mentioned before, I think I want to cut off the head of the snake. I want to get that kind of money out of politics. That's a big call. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not the only game in town. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, talking about uh, elected politics, we have an election coming up. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've thought much about um, where you might land or where you would land um, nationally or mm -hmm. even locally. Um, who are you looking to support in the upcoming presidential election? In the presidential election, I think it's because, honestly, uh, this individual had really echoed a lot of my interests in terms of getting money out of politics and giving the, essentially putting out all, the, hopefully, the corruption on some level at least. Right, right. Um, in the conflicts of interest and whatnot. Right. So this individual actually even had my strong support mm -hmm. from the last uh, election as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So Bernie Sanders is mm -hmm. one that I like a lot uh, just because I... I based on my perception of him and what I've come to know about him. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully I don't have to like put my foot in my mouth later, but <laughs> ultimately I think he wants to get money out of politics. He wants to fix the system. Mm -hmm. And I think, mm -hmm. I mean, that's always been the, his, I mean, his, his call to arms this whole time since, I mean, for years now, right, right. decades even mm -hmm. is about changing the system that is corrupt. That is, twisted and ultimately too heavily influenced by money. And we hear a lot of politicians say that. Even our President Trump has said that he wanted to drain the swamp. Yeah. Is that a difference to you? Yes, because that's nonspecific. <laughs> you know, so draining the swamp is going to mean whatever anybody wants it to mean. Mm -hmm. Whereas Bernie Sanders specifically is talking about making more campaign contributions transparent and available for individuals. Why has that been such a hard sell for both parties for a long time? Yeah, well, because <laughs> someone's making money. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. And I think, again, that really brings it back to ultimately how, unfortunately, capitalism has kind of twisted things for us. I mean, and I, I mean, of course, I'm American, so I appreciate the values of capitalism. Mm -hmm. But ultimately where money can be gained that's ultimately the biggest power mm -hmm. in the United States in a current economic system that we have. Right. And so if someone's able to make money from it, that's ultimately going to be the decision that's made. Does it frighten you, uh, his recent health scare, the heart attack that, it, that Bernie Sanders has had? Well, I, I think it does demonstrate his age, of course, and that can be concerning. But even if we get four years out of someone who's good, or whenever, you know, I, I think it, it would be worth it. And I, I don't think it's definitely, it's not a harbinger of, you know, his 
you know, I think many people do very well with, you know, surviving after heart attacks for many years. Mm -hmm, so. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, but also people say that who he chooses as a running mate is that much more important. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course that can be quite important. Right, I think it's right. always important. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. And uh, that's, I mean, that's why hopefully whoever is choosing their running mate, they're doing it quite strategically to echo the interests of their individuals, either to balance it out so that it's not one, just one opinion being supported, right? but also kind of represents, you know, the whole, hopefully. And last question, do you have any thoughts about the local election? Well, I, I try, but <laughs> ultimately I'm often disappointed with, uh, I feel like each year that I vote, it's never really how I want it to go <laughs> here in Indiana. So, <laughs> Well, regardless of whether the person you voted for is the one who made it into office, they still represent you. So it's important mm -hmm. that elected officials hear from voters, period. Mm -hmm. What do you want someone elected locally as mayor? To, to know about not just the topic we talked about, but what type of approach do you want them to take to governing locally? Hopefully echoing those same interests. Very interested in not only, I mean, of course, engaging the community, empowering it and growing it, but also someone who's really adamant about fixing the system. Mm -hmm. um, I think even... I mean, no matter which side of the aisle you're coming from, if you have someone who walks into it wanting to fix the system, uh, that's someone I can always support. You know, I mean, despite whether how they feel about particular things like gun control or, you know, legalization of marijuana or whichever, you know, wh those commonly divisive topics, I'm okay with someone disagreeing with me as long as they are also moving in to fix a system that they can commonly see that it's not functioning the mm. way it should be mm -hmm. well with that we'll let that be the last word i want to thank you again joshua for coming in and sharing your voice on this topic and on the political scene nationally and locally hopefully you get your way this time thank <laughs> you appreciate it <laughs> sending positive vibes and want to thank all of our listeners please catch up with us on apple podcasts check out our website at pointcast.news and check out our social media page on facebook thank you again for listening and gail we are out